notes in your bulletin this morning. I encourage you to take them out as we go along together. Now, some of you may have not even noticed that we do things a little bit different or have done them. If you're new this morning, we normally sing a little more at the beginning and nothing at the end. This morning, we're going to flip those around a little bit and sing more at the end than we do at the beginning. No right or wrong, just the way we're going to do it this morning for a particular reason. When we do something different, for a lot of us, it makes us a little uncomfortable. Some of us aren't sure of the why, maybe anxious, and some don't even notice. I owe a lot of my spiritual life and development to YFC Campus Life. I love being a part of it. I love growing up with it as a young guy, looking for answers to life, knowing it was God was going to lead me in ministry and spent a lot of time under the tutelage of three or four of those guys who invested a lot into me. They had a classic saying that went like this. In life, there are three kinds of people. The few who make things happen, the majority who watch things happen, and the overwhelming majority who don't even know what happened. And sometimes in life, that really is true. You know, as I know, there is no right or wrong way in the New Testament to order a Sunday morning service. Now, we think there is up here, but not in the Word of God. Word gives us some guidelines when we gather together. Most of them are about our attitudes when we come. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. Ephesians chapter 5, the verse that I have in your sermon says that we ought to be filled with the Spirit. Now, the main reason is we leak. The other reason is we can't live this Christian life without the filling of God's Spirit. We want Him to so saturate our lives that it's lived out, that people recognize and know I'm in touch with God. Not only in touch with God, I am filled with God's Spirit, and He's leading my life. It manifests itself in a number of different ways how we relate to each other, how we care visually on our face. It's recognizable that you're in touch with the living God because your attitude and demeanor changes. I said to you a couple of weeks ago, Coach McCartney's great line of starting Promise Keepers is a man who said, you can tell how much a man is invested in his wife by watching the countenance on her face. And he said, I looked at my wife and it was empty and blank and I realized I'd invested in the wrong things. As a follower of Christ, it is obvious and evident. I'm in touch with the Spirit of God. God's in love with me, and I'm in love with him, and I reveal that in the way I live my life. He also says in Ephesians, it reveals itself in the way you express your gratitude. Spiritual songs and hymns and praise, it just comes out. It just flows out. But the order of service is left up to the worship leaders. I find it interesting, almost I wish he did, in the New Testament, in the three years of Jesus' ministry, not one single time did he ever say, hey, Pete, you, James, and John, get the band together, warm the service up, sing a lot of songs, and I'll come in and preach. I wish he would have. I would at least know how he would have done a Sunday morning service or what it would have been like. Not one time did that ever happen. Most of the time, he preached for an hour or two. Don't you wish that happened today as well? Yeah, my wife, I love you. <laughs> Last Sunday's message was kind of heavy. I talked to you about a lot of those times in life when we live between the promises of God and the questions of life. When we have bought, uh, found ourselves living in a little more bad times than good times. When days are really uncertain and we're not sure where the light's going to be at the end of the tunnel. Now, maybe you're not living there, but you do know people who have who really have gone through some deep waters and they have more questions than answers and they wonder what's going to take place and they sometimes, if they're not careful, wonder what's going to happen next. If you haven't been there, you may be. But I certainly know you know people who have been. A lot of life is lived in that context. 
The question that I have for you this morning is when you find yourself in those moments of time between the promises of God and the questions of life, how do you keep balance? How do you find center in the middle of all that uncertainty? Now, one of the things that are hard for a pastor on a Sunday morning, especially when you have multiple services, is you only do have so much time before the next service is going to take place. And you only have so much time where people are really going to grasp and understand what it is that you want to say. And if we're really honest, we only have so much time that we want to listen to someone talk. But what I'm sharing with you this morning and what we shared last Sunday morning really go together. Because of time constraints and the Sundays that flow one or the other, it's difficult to be able to pull it all together. But what I'd love for you to do this morning is remember what we talked about last Sunday morning when James is killed and Peter is in jail and all the uncertainty that's going on with the New Testament church and put that in the context of today. How do you stay balanced? How do you find center in the middle of all of those moments when life doesn't seem to make sense in the context of a world that is certainly off-center? I want to continue our journey in Acts 13 this morning, so I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 13. If you're new, we've been in the book of Acts for a long time, and we'll be there. Our habit here is to take a book of the Bible and walk all the way through it, not simply every verse, but pretty much every context. This morning, we're in Acts 13. It's the natural progression of the next step out of Acts 12 that we left off with last Sunday. Now, the church at Antioch, one we've talked about that really loved God and people, There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, one of them, Simon, or Simeon, called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrene, and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we'll later know as Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So again, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hand on him and sent them off. The two of them, Barnabas and Saul, were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, Mark, was with them. Now, it says John here. If you remember the story last week, when Peter got out of prison, he went back to that home. It was John Mark's home. Now he's on a journey with them. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. They met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent <coughs> man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, or that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not able to see in the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed about the teaching of God. Now, you look at that, trying to stay centered in an off-centered world, and you say, where are you going to get it out of this context? Well, stay with me for a while. I have a lot of my sermon in your notes this morning that kind of synopsize what it is that we're talking about last Sunday and today. There are a lot of times when our li- in our lives when we really feel that God is close, that God is there, God is being tender, and I sense his presence, and I, I love those moments. When I'm in the presence of God and I know it, I can kind of hear his voice, I sense his presence with me, I feel the emotional connection that goes with it, I feel like I've heard his voice, and it's just such a wonderful moment in time to be in the presence of God. But you also know there are times when you don't feel that, when you don't even understand what he's doing, when you have all kinds of questions and you haven't heard any answers. 
You know he's there, but like last week's, you wonder where he's at. He feels like he's a million miles away. In your notes, I have this St. John of the Cross called it the most familiar phrase, the dark night of the soul. Now and in his book, and you ought to read some of his stuff, calls it the ministry of absence and Tozer, the ministry of the night. David frequently complained about God's absence, said things like this, Lord, why are you standing aloof and far away? Why do you hide when I need you the most? Have you ever asked that question? Where are you now? Why have you forsaken me? Why do you remain so distant? Why do you ignore my cries for help? Now, God didn't leave David, and he doesn't leave us. But sometimes in life it feels that way. God a long time ago and forever made a promise to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always be with you no matter what. I'll even walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. God always promises he will be with us. What he has not promised is that you will always feel his presence. And that's a huge difference. One of the most common mistakes that I find sometimes in my own life and in Christianity today is that we seek an experience more than seeking God. And when I'm in those moments where I really feel like God is here and I'm emotional about it and I feel the connection that goes with it and I even weep and I find myself raising my hands in the presence of Almighty God and I know He's here and I sense that presence that I've really worshipped. And if I haven't felt that and it's just kind of disjointed and I don't feel anything about it, the songs were okay and I just didn't feel like I connected with God, I didn't, it was just an ordinary service. And if we're really honest we do do that sometimes in the context of our Sunday morning experience. Now, because the only audience I have is you on Sunday morning that I share with, and the only time I have to share with you corporately is on Sunday morning, what I'm talking about mostly is in the context of this gathering on Sunday. But there are other times in life where you find yourself in quiet communion moments with God when you really do sense his presence, and other times when you're in prayer and you wonder where he's at. God promised he will never leave us or forsake us. Always be by our side. But he never promised that we would always feel it. Let me give you some guidelines when God is silent. One, they're all in your sermon notes this morning. Tell them how you feel. God can handle our honesty. To be honest with you, that's what he wants. He wants your honesty. David certainly did that. I mean, if we're here sitting in a Sunday morning and we're Brand new in Christianity, we hear things like, God, why are you standing far away? Where are you when I need you the most? Why have you forsaken me? Why do you ignore my cries for help? We find ourselves saying, I would never say that to God. David did. Jeremiah had a lot of questions to God. It is okay to tell God how you feel, to let him know what's going on in your life, to tell him how upset or frustrated or empty you feel on the inside. God can handle our honesty. Matter of fact, he delights in our honesty. Somewhere along the way, someone may have said to you, well, you can't ask why. Why? One of the statements of Jesus on the cross was what? Why? Why have you forsaken me? It's okay to ask that in the middle of those moments, to tell God how you feel. The second thing is to focus on who God is, not always what he has done, or in your context, what he has not done yet. But focus on who God is. A great classic line that I have in there for you, never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. Never doubt in the dark in those moments of time what you know is true in the light. If you ever want to read somebody who's gone through more deep waters than most of us will ever experience in a lifetime, read the book of Job. I mean, that guy lost everything. He lost everything. 
And the friends that he had in his life, the first time they came into his life after having lost everything is, what did you do? How many of you guys, no matter how many times you want to bring flowers home to your wife, the very first question they ask when you bring those flowers home, and it's not their birthday and an anniversary, is what? What did you do? Right? Every time I buy flowers for my wife, I'm going through the checkout line. The very first question every checkout girl has ever asked me is, what did you do? I didn't do anything. I love my wife. Why? What did you do? I mean, they still keep questioning that. Joe's friends walk into his life after he lost everything saying, what did you do? Like it was his fault. And then Job was married to an incredible encourager who looked at him and said, just curse God and die. Wouldn't you love to have that moment with your wife, those tender moments with your wife when you're going through deep waters and you lost everything, giving you those encouraging words, just curse God and die. But in the middle of all of that, with 30-some chapters where God doesn't answer, and when God does answer, it's not the one necessarily he expected. All through that book, you'll see periodically Job finding things that he could praise God for, that God is loving and good, all-powerful, notices every detail of my life. I know is still in control. He has a plan for my my life, and I know he will save me. Number three, trust in the promises of God. Trust God to keep his promises. During those times of spiritual dryness, when we find ourselves in empty moments, rely more on the promises of God than your emotions. And realize in the midst of those moments, he may be taking you to a deeper level of maturity than you've ever been on before. Any friendship based on emotion will always remain somewhat shallow. And so too our relationship with God. And number four, remember what God has already done. Jesus gave up everything so that you and I could have everything. Jesus died so we could live forever. And that alone is worthy of our continual praise and adoration. Now, I got to remind myself of that too. So often on a Sunday morning, I will say to you, look, if Jesus never answers another one of my prayers, I'll be thrilled for what he's already done. And every once in a while, I find myself having to say that to myself in the middle of those uncertain moments. But it really is true. You and I who know Christ is our Savior have been given the opportunity to start life all over again. The slate of our past is wiped clean. We've got grace and love and forgiveness, friendships, relationships with the family of God, an opportunity to connect with one another, to have somebody pray with you and be there for you when you go through deep waters. The list is endless of the things that God has done. And then on top of all of that, gives us eternal life. The promise is someday we'll see him and be with him for all eternity in the most amazing place you've ever seen on this planet. And in those moments, I've got to remind myself, maybe you don't, but I know I do, that after all he's done, if he never answers another prayer or does another thing, he's worthy of my praise. Now, just like an order of service, if we're not careful, anything we do can become routine and get lost in the practice of doing it. How you do an order of service, singing and celebration, communion can be one of those moments. One of the reasons here we don't celebrate communion every Sunday is so we don't want it to get lost in the essence of repetition. We want it to be incredibly special. We don't even do it here on the same week or the same Sunday all the time. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus say how often. All he does is say every time you do it, whenever that is, always what? Remember me. Always remember what I did. There are a lot of things that we can do so repetitiously that we forget the essence of that saying certain prayers over and over again. One of those things is fasting. 
In this context, it's mentioned twice, interestingly enough, within the context of worship. And again, not just on Sunday morning, but in the context of my time with God. Now, in our American culture, where every fourth building is a restaurant, fasting is not something we talk much about. As I look around, not this morning, but as I've seen other congregations, it's maybe something we ought to consider for a few folks, but I'm not going to say anything about that. Biblical fasting wasn't done, though, for physical reasons. It was done for a spiritual purpose. One of the best books you ever read on the disciplines of life, the disciplines of your spiritual life, fasting, time together with God, reading his word, is in Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. In that context, he said, fasting is a time where I abstain for food from a period of time where I solely focus on God. I just want to set some things aside. In this context, it's going to be that. It's going to be food and some other things, as I'll mention in a moment, so that I can solely concentrate on God. I just want to spend some quiet moments with him. But like any other spiritual practice, it can either become a habit or something I use if I'm not careful to manipulate God. God, I really need you to come through here. I need you to answer. Tell you what, God, I'm going to give up food for a long period of time. I'm going to spend some time fasting so that you'll answer this prayer. You never want to do it for that reason. You want to do it so you can get connected to God. But a lot of times we do give up things in hopes that God sees our piety or our relationship and our willingness to do that so he'll answer our prayer. And that's not the reason you do it. It's also not the reason you do it so that others notice. Fast every week. Get up four in the morning, pray for six hours, spend time with God, read the word of God for another six. Not that you should, but I just wanted you to know what I do. Nobody does that. But sometimes we say things like our spiritual disciplines so that people notice us. And Jesus said, look, don't do that. Don't do it so that people notice. Do it so that he notices. And do it in that context. Now, there are times that in our lives where we don't always choose to fast, it chooses us in your notes this morning. And I say that by there are those moments in time where I really do need some answers. I need some direction. I need to get my life back into balance. I need to slow down enough. I need to listen to God's voice. I'm really tired. I'm weary. I'm being beat up by the enemy. And I just need some solitude away with God. And sometimes in those moments, we do choose to do certain things, whether it be fasting, long extended periods of time with God in prayer and solitude or in worship. There are a number of reasons we do it. Some that I want to share with you this morning in your notes. One is so that God in those moments can speak. A lot of us are going, to those, going through those moments in time where I do need an answer from God. Do I move? Do I take this job? Do I marry him? Do I marry her? Do I go in this career path? Whatever the issue may be, I need God to speak. I want to hear his voice. And in the midst of a crazy schedule and hectic lives, we don't always have the opportunity to do that. So sometimes on a Sunday morning when everybody else is singing, sit down. Just listen. Now, if everybody listens and nobody's singing, you won't hear anything. But those moments in time where I just want to reflect for a while and I want God to speak. And it's that moment where I've set aside this hour and I'm just going to be quiet and let God speak. Now, I hope you have those times in your life on a regular basis so that God can speak and give direction. Now, in this case here, in this context, he tells them exactly what to do. Take out Paul and Barnabas. I want to send them off to another place, and, and I want you to bless them. And so they hear God's voice, and they obey that voice. The other times through the book of Acts, you'll see in Acts 15, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. We think that's the direction the Spirit of God is leading us in Acts 16. And so they did. They found out that the door was closed, and so they went another direction and went another direction. 
Sometimes our lives get so busy and we're running around, even doing wonderful things that we just need to stop and listen and allow God to speak. Through his word, through a message, through a song or a celebration of singing. The second reason is simply to do what we're going to do this morning and in a lot of those times in our lives where we just need balance. We need to kind of get back to center. I've got caught up in my life and my attitude and my demeanor, and I need to get some balance in my life. I need to get back to center. And one of the best ways to do that is with the people of God singing and celebrating on Sunday morning. A third reason is, I know you know this, we're facing an enemy. We're in battle. We're in a major battle. And there are times when I find myself really battle-weary, And I need to find that place where I can get the wind put back in my sails. And I can be, instead of alone with the people of God, instead of feeling like I'm isolated and nobody understands, I can be with the people of God who I see a smile or an encouragement or a word or a note, and I know I'm not in this alone. And even though right now I feel like I can't handle another day, I know they're there for me. In this context here, in verse 8, they were facing a sorcerer. You and I are so as well. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said, finally, in the midst of an incredible amount of information that Paul says to us, I want you to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. I want you to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against this enemy's schemes. You do know this, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the authorities, against all the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So put on the armor of God so when that day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. There are times in our journey of life when our energy gets drained and we need re-energized where I've got to have my tank refilled and we are in a battle. One of the number one questions that I'm asked on a regular basis over the last year is, are we in the last days? And my answer is what? Yes. If you'd asked me that question 100 years ago, I would have said yes. If you'd asked me that question 1,000 years ago, I would have said yes. We've always been in the last days. Since Jesus said, the last days are coming, I want you to be ready. It'll get tough. It'll get tense. It'll get tight. And for 2,000 years, up and down, the cycle has gone where it looks like we're in the last days. Now, if someone were to really push me, I'd say, I think we're closer now than we've ever been. But I'm telling you, we're in a battle. And i got to get away from the battle every once in a while and come together with the people of God and sing and celebrate and be reminded of what God does and has done and will do in the middle of all of that. The promise is someday, even though if it doesn't work out right now and I get destroyed by the enemy, I'm going to see God face to face. Interesting translation in verse 10 of the RSV or the Revised Standard Version of verse 10 when Paul confronts the sorcerer. It translates itself this way. Will you not stay, stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. You know and I know that many times in our life, Satan tries to get us off track or sidetracked. And many times a Sunday morning gathering or those moments in time where I do it on my own, that I'm allowed the opportunity to straighten things out and to reconnect in my relationship to God. Now this morning at the end, we're going to spend some time with God. We're going to sing. We're going to sing songs that you're familiar with. We debated forever about style and form, and you know as I know, none of that is as important as who I worship, and that he is pleased with what he sees. Jesus told the woman at the well, there's going to come a day when the ones that really understand how to worship God are going to worship him in spirit and in truth, who really do honestly understand who God is, not some image of what, he wanted, what we want him to be, but who he really is, and to be really honest in our vulnerability and in our worship.
And you know we can't fool God anyhow because he sees the heart. We so often wonder what others think as we sing. What I want to know and what I hope you want to know is God pleased. Now, our experience with God, whatever it is, whether Sunday morning or any other time, can't be mindless. In your sermon notes, there are three great verses, tons of them in Scripture, but one of the ones that I love the most out of Mark, when he includes every aspect of our being, he says to love God with every fiber of your being, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Romans 12, he said, offer your whole body, not just parts of you, but your entire being as a reasonable sacrifice in light of all he's done. David said in 2 Samuel, I'm not going to give God anything that doesn't cost me something. We're going to finish this morning with some adoration. In the middle of all that, some of you may need to hear his voice. And so I hope either this morning or next Sunday or in your own solitude time, you have those moments when you do listen for his voice and let him speak. Where it's not my list of things, but listening for him to share what he wants me to hear. Maybe you need direction in your life. What do I do? Where do I go? What steps do I take? What job do I pursue? Some of you are dry. You need your tanks refilled. Maybe you're off center or off track, and you need to get back to center, and maybe you're facing an enemy, and you absolutely feel overwhelmed, and you just need those moments from energized and ready for the battle. Before we sing this morning, I want to show you a clip that a number of people have sent me, but one of the ones that we narrowed down just to a couple of moments about men who really do face battle every single day of their lives. They're military guys. And what you're going to see this morning, if you've never seen it before, is those guys who are facing battle, who are uncertain about life, who are willing to lay their lives on the line, who have no idea how long they'll live in the middle of all of that, what they do to prepare and how important it is to them. And then we're going to sing. Watch this. Yeah. Uh-huh. 